This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, April 3rd. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride Medical Center names interim CEO, Town Secures Contractor for Shandoka Renovation, Capital Conversation Talks Wolves, Reproductive Rights and the Budget, and a Mountain Weather Forecast. Dr. Deanna Colliker is stepping in as the new interim CEO for the Telluride Regional Medical Center. Colliker replaces Chris Darnell, who resigned his position as CEO in February after less than a year, citing a need to be closer to family. He's been a huge, um, has had a huge impact on the culture at the medical center and has really helped us as a board better understand some of the challenges that we have been, that we're faced with. So, you know, we're sorry to see Chris leave, but we were thrilled that um, Dr. Colliker decided to um, step forward and step out of her traditional role as an ER doctor and jump into helping be the lead um, the lead on the administrative side of the hospital. That's Paul Reich, president of the Telluride Hospital District Board. Reich knows Dr. Colliker will be stepping into the role in a temporary capacity, but says she's perfect for the job. I can't say enough good things about Dr. Colliker. I mean, I've worked with her in a lot of different settings. She's smart. Uh, she knows healthcare. She knows the challenges that healthcare entities face. And and she's really well respected internally at the medical center as well as externally with community partners. So, you know, I just can't I can't say enough good things about her. I think she's she's the the ideal person to step into that role um, in what is what is acknowledged on both sides as a short term role. Colliker will continue to serve as medical director for emergency and trauma services at the med center, but will step back from her duties as an emergency physician. She'll be there. A- Occasionally, but not on a full-time basis, and we will, we will be able to fill her positions with, um, you know, traveling ER docs, if you will, um, as well as partners in her practice who are going to step forward and take on some additional shifts. She wants to continue to have some, some more limited role of in the ER um, before she returns to the ER after, you know, her tenure as an interim is over. Dr. Colliker attended medical school at the Medicine College of Georgia and completed her residency at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. She's been with the Telluride Regional Medical Center since 2005. Reich says he doesn't know exactly what the search for a permanent CEO will look like for the med center, but they will begin the process. What is the next chapter of leadership at uh, the Telluride Medical Center. And, and what does that look like? And today I can't answer that. So it, to be determined. But we do know that Dr. Colliker ultimately wants to get back into uh, the emergency department. And we will we are going to be working hard over the next uh, period of time to, to allow that to happen. And, and at the same time, position the medical center for, for long-term you know, stable leadership. And for the time being, care will continue as usual for patients. We as a board don't anticipate any, to see any changes in terms of how the day-to-day operations work at the medical center. And so, um, you know, encourage people to get in there, get their spring wellness checks. uh, And, but it should be business as usual for our patients and for staff and for our community and more to come. Dr. Colliker will begin the position of interim CEO at the Telluride Regional Medical Center, effective April 17th. Telluride is currently juggling a handful of affordable housing projects, all at different stages. 
One of those projects advanced last week when it secured a contractor. KOTO's Gavin McGough has more. When it came time to pick a contractor for one of town's upcoming affordable housing projects, Telluride didn't have many options. But, says town community housing manager James Van Hooser, that didn't seem to matter. While we only received one bid, um, or sorry, one proposal, uh, the entire interview committee found it to be a compelling and strong proposal, a good team um, that we would be excited to work with. The proposal, which Van Hooser speaks of, is for a complete renovation and reconstruction of the Shandoka F building, which is slated for an overhaul following plumbing and maintenance issues. Van Hooser spoke before town council that one single contractor who responded to Telluride's search for a builder is Shaw Construction, who will work with architects Cushing Terrell on the remodel. Here's Van Hooser. The uh, combined architect builder fee is coming in a little bit lower than um, we would normally see on a town project, which makes sense at this site. It's flat. It's um, outside the district. It'll be a, fingers crossed, a slightly easier build than some of our other projects. Despite the potential ease of the project, many questions remain. Town has yet to even determine how to go about reconstructing Building F. And the options, says Van Hooser, are numerous. Do we go modular? Do we go stick with some panelized? Does it make sense to do a down-to-the-studs remodel of the existing buildings? The architect and contractor will take the next month or so to determine which method will serve town best, considering not only budget, but also, Van Hooser says. How can we displace residents for as little time as possible? How can we get the get it built as quickly as possible? Um, and we just need more information on that. After the method of construction is determined, a clearer timeline for the project will come into view, and the remaining residents of Building F will need to be relocated. Council's decision last week, however, was an easy one. With only one contractor stepping forward, and a good one at that, council unanimously voted to hire Shaw Construction. While the rebuilt Building F will closely resemble what exists there today, the project's planning phase will consider options for adding additional bedrooms and units. Wolf reintroduction, reproductive health care, and the budget are all on the brain at the state legislature. In this installment of Capital Conversation, KOTO State House reporter Lucas Brady Woods brings the latest. Thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to first start off talking about some bills having to do with wolf reintroduction. Um, obviously, voters approved reintroducing wolves back into the state a few years ago. And so the fact that it's happening is guaranteed. But lawmakers are kind of um, introducing some bills to put parameters maybe on what that looks like. What are these bills looking to do? Voters approved wolf reintroduction, I believe, in 2020. And um, it's definitely a controversial topic, right? Because, you know, as many benefits as there could be to reintroducing wolves into the environment here in Colorado, you know, there could be some detrimental effects, especially on farmers and ranchers who come into direct contact with animals like wolves um, and their wildlife and their, excuse me, their, their livestock can be in danger. Now, these bills are have some bipartisan support, um, and the Democrats behind the bills are mainly Western Slope or Mountain uh, District Democrats, more rural districts. Um, and they told me that their constituents are very concerned about wolf reintroduction. Um, and 
you know, they, they support it. The voters spoke, uh, you know, with their decision to reintroduce wolves. And the lawmakers told me that they, they, you know, of course, support this mandate and, and will follow through with wolf reintroduction. But there are concerns. And so what these bills do is, is they kind of act, hope to act as guardrails to the process um, and add some protections to, to these farmers and ranchers. One of the bills would create a new fund for depredation, victims of depredation. Depredation is when a wolf or another predator kills a livestock animal, which can be worth quite a lot of money and, and quite a large part of the livelihood of some of these farmers and ranchers. So one of these, one of these bills creates a, uh, a fund for farmers and ranchers whose livestock is, is killed by wolves, and it would, the fund would directly compensate those farmers and ranchers for their losses. Now, the other one is a little more complicated. It adds some guardrails, like I said, but what it does is it, it would delay reintroduction itself if the federal government doesn't, A, classify reintroduction as experimental, and B, do a proper environmental assessment of what it would look like. So those two factors, if this bill passes, need to be in place. And what an experimental classification of war for reintroduction does is it makes it easier for the state to manage the population. So that's what that's what these bills you know aim to do is help the state manage the wolf population and directly compensate farmers and ranchers or other people who lose livestock to these to the wolves. Um, you know, we've talked before that Democrats have control of both the House and the Senate, um, but the Republicans are trying to do what they can to um, delay or or kind of hold up some bills when it comes to reproductive rights that the Democrats are have introduced and are moving through. Can you talk a little bit about what these bills are and then also what's going on in terms of kind of this maybe a little bit of contention between lawmakers of these bills passing. <laughs> There's definitely contention. But, you know, the Republicans generally oppose expanding access to abortion. And that's what, and other things. And these bills deal with not just expanding access to abortion, but protecting access in Colorado to gender-affirming care, for example. One of the bills protects out-of-state patients who come to Colorado to get abortion care or gender affirming care. Um, it would protect those patients and the providers who give, who, who give them these treatments and this care from outside of state prosecution and investigation. So, you know, there are a lot of states surrounding Colorado that have uh, restricted abortion, restricted reproductive health care, gender affirming care, these things. And, uh, Lawmakers, Democratic lawmakers, want to make sure that those patients who come to Colorado for that care are protected and the providers are protected as well. Another bill would uh, regulate so-called crisis pregnancy centers. A lot of critics say that they use deceptive trade practices to try to convince people not to get abortions or to dissuade people from other reproductive health care. And so this bill would outlaw deceptive trade practices from these organizations, and it would also outlaw their ability or, or their use of what's, what some call abortion reversal pill. But unfortunately, re abortion reversal pills are supported by mainstream medical science, 
And uh, so this, this bill would outlaw their use by these crisis pregnancy centers. And another, a third reproductive rights bill, reproductive health care bill, mandates insurance coverage for abortion care uh, and other reproductive health care and for testing and treatment for sexually transmitted infections. As for the opposition, you know, Republicans are in the minority. They can't stop these bills, even though they oppose them. And they're, they're using similar tactics that they used on uh, gun control bills that have been moving through. And all they can really do is use filibusters and bill readings where they read the bill at length uh, to delay these proceedings as much as possible and try to mess up the schedule and prevent passage. But Democrats have been cracking down on the procedural steps and, the, and maintaining the calendar. And I think that even with these Republican resistance tactics, these bills will likely be pushed through and signed by the governor, and it could be soon. Finally, we only have about a month left of the legislative session for this year. It feels like it's gone by very quickly. I don't know how it feels for you. <laughs> Probably a mix of very fast and also slow. Um, but obviously a major piece that the legislature has to accomplish before they leave for the year is the budget. What is going on? Are there any highlights of what's in the budget so far? And what does that process look like? The budget is definitely a big ticket item. We've got to keep things moving and running properly here in Colorado, uh, at least the, the lawmakers do. And the budget this year, I believe, is $38.5 billion, and that's a couple billion dollars more than it was last year. Um, and, you know, this funds everything from maintenance of the capital to, to appropriations and funding required by bills. One nice piece is that it's increased funding per pupil funding for students, school students in Colorado, uh, public schools, so that that will increase that. But another thing is it's showing a very large excess in TABOR funds. Those are funds that the government uh, raises with taxes and, and under this TABOR law, any excess in tax funds is meant to go back to the people. And there's, it's showing a pretty big excess of tax money. There is talk, instead of sending that directly back to the people of Colorado, using that for some sort of property tax relief, because property taxes are expected to be extremely high this year. So there is some talk. I, I don't know, what, you know how realistic it is or how much these talks have progressed, but there are talks to use those paper funds to deal with property tax relief. Well, Lucas, thanks so much for taking a couple minutes to chat with me, and we'll check back in next week. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. That was KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reporting from Denver. The dancing has ended. The pond skim got spectators and participants thoroughly soaked. The lifts are no longer running. With off-season comes closure of the mountain for a time. The mountain will be closed to all traffic from April 3rd through April 7th while Telski operations clear up the area and prepare for summer. Uphill access will reopen on April 8th, but Telski officials urge recreators to be aware of unmarked hazards, operational traffic, and plowing. Officials ask individuals to respect closure signs and give snowcats, snowmobiles, heavy equipment, and all mountain traffic the right of way. There will be no avalanche mitigation or ski patrol. At the same time, the gondola has closed for the spring. The transit system closes twice a year during the off-season for routine maintenance. San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation buses will be providing extra service during the time to accommodate. 
Bus service will run between Lawson Hill, Telluride, and Mountain Village starting at 5.55 a.m. in Lawson Hill, April 3rd through May 24th, when the gondola reopens. Spring has sprung and the off-season is officially here. Off-season, of course, means a number of restaurants around Telluride and Mountain Village will be closing, but some options for food will stick around. Keeping their lights on through the off-season are Cindy Bread, Crazy Elk, The Saw Pit Mercantile, Corner House, Kazahana, Smugglers, Steamies, and Uno Dos Trace. Counterculture, Caravan, Coffee Cowboy, Brown Dog, Esperanza's High Pie, Baked in Telluride, Butcher and Baker, La Cocina de Luz, Strong House, Telluride Truffle, Their Bar, and Woodier will also close for several weeks over the off-season. Days and hours of operation may vary, so make sure to check ahead of time. It's hard to say what happens to our souls after we die, but it's a little more straightforward to know what happens to our bodies. Some people now have a new option that's seen as more environmentally friendly. KUNC's Alex Hager reports on one Colorado funeral home offering a technology that uses water instead of fire. Carlotta Striffler isn't scared to talk about death, even her own. I think what I would have really liked if it had been years ago, it would have been to be taken up on a mountaintop and put on top of a, of a platform and just kind of go back to the elements that way. But they don't let you do that anymore. <laughs> when she was a kid, Striffler's dad was a minister, so she spent a lot of time around funerals. Now that she's 73, she says that makes it easier to talk about what should happen after she's gone. I'm a Virgo, and so I like to plan things, and I feel much less anxious about dying eventually, knowing that I have this in place. By this, Striffler means plans for a new form of cremation. We're standing in front of the machine that will carry out a process called alkaline hydrolysis, breaking down the body using mostly water. Chris Goes is the owner and director of Goes Funeral Home in Fort Collins, Colorado. Space age has been brought up from people who have witnessed this. That the, the equipment looks rather uh, futuristic. It's a giant metal cylinder, a shiny silver tube about the length of a small car and standing taller than everyone in the room. It's topped with valves and gauges and pipes. Everything that you would expect to see on a trip to Mars. Goes and another funeral director open the machine, unsealing a circular metal door that looks like the outside of a bank vault. I'll pull on three. Ready? One, two, three. Inside, there's a metal cage where overhead sprinklers rain down over the person's body and a chemical called potassium hydroxide. Then it's tipped to an angle. So there's water filling in in the lower end as it's up, and then just bathes the person and reduces our body to our bones. That process could take anywhere from 3 to 14 hours. Ren Sherling, the other funeral director, likens the process to a more familiar appliance. It's really no louder than a dishwasher at home, and it's so, so, so quiet. And after it's done, the funeral home gives families two things. A little glass jar of water from the process. Some people use it to water a garden or a tree. And once the bones are dried out and processed, ashy remains, similar to the kind you'd get from traditional flame cremation. That was appealing to Lee Christian, who chose water cremation for his father, Ed, who died at 90 earlier this year. So we received a few keepsake amounts, but 
uh, of cremated remains. And then we have my father's park ranger hat and his remains are inside. Christian chose it even though it's pricier than flame cremation. At Go's funeral home, the water-based option is $3,200, a thousand more than the old way. It's only in 15 states so far, including Utah, Nevada, and California. And of all cremations in 2021, fewer than 1% were water cremation. But still, Barbara Chemis, head of the Cremation Association of North America, says it's providing a valuable option for people who want it. Perhaps it's more quickly adopted in Colorado because I see Western states, Colorado included, um, being very interested in new forms of disposition and uh, perhaps leading uh, the rest of the country on environmental conscious, you know, death care choices. That's one of the big reasons that Carlotta Striffler chose water cremation. She liked the idea of a machine with fewer emissions into the atmosphere. And water, she said, sounds more soothing than flames. It isn't a frightening-looking piece of equipment to me. And by the time she's ready for it, Striffler says she won't be looking at it anyway. I'm Alex Hager in Fort Collins, Colorado. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for an 80% chance of snow showers tonight with a low around 15 degrees. Winds could gust up to 40 miles per hour, and 2 to 4 inches of snow accumulation is possible. Tuesday expects snow showers with a high in the mid-20s during the day and a low around 10 degrees at night. 3 to 7 inches of snow accumulation is possible. Wednesday should be mostly cloudy with a 40% chance of snow showers and a high near 30 degrees. Wednesday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 5. This has been the news for Monday, April 3rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. KOTO News will be scaling back for the next two weeks with newscasts on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday during that time. We will start back with our full news programming on April 17th.